The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. Blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of the W2 Group a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Two W2 Group companies, Digital Influence Group and RacePoint Group, are leaders in social media marketing in both paid and unpaid media. We have an exciting show today. We'll be talking about open innovation with Dwayne Spraglin, the president and CEO of Innocentive. Founded in 2001, Innocentive connects companies, academic institutions, public sector, and nonprofit organizations, all hungry for breakthrough innovation. With a global network of more than 200,000 of the world's brightest minds on the world's first open innovation marketplace. Prior to working with Innocentive, Dwayne served as president of business information company Hoover's Inc. and as COO of Starsight Inc an online meeting and events planning business. Dwayne also served as Senior VP of Corporate and Business Development for VerticalNet, a portfolio of online industry marketplaces. Earlier in in his career, he was a director in the e-business and emerging technology practice at PricewaterhouseCoopers. It's great to have you on MarketEdge, Dwayne. It's my pleasure to be here. Hey, Dwayne, before we really get into this, I was looking at your site last night, and it looks really actually very cool and Interesting. Maybe, you know, if you could at least talk a little bit about your work at Innocentive to uh, our audience that might not be aware of it at all. How do companies first decide to implement, you know, an open innovation strategy? And maybe how did the world's first open innovation marketplace come to be almost 10 years old? Wow. So. Uh, boy, I'm glad to do that. Yeah, so Innocentive is a, um, Innocentive is a company that focuses on bringing what we call challenge-based innovation to organizations everywhere. And what that means is if you can define a problem crisply, well-defined success criteria, um, uh, make it available to the world, um, there's an amazing effect where innovators and problem solvers and business strategists and entrepreneurs everywhere um, you know, really get energized around solving that problem. And it makes available to the organization, almost on demand, an ability to solve very complex problems. And these problems can run the gamut from, um, you know, highly technical problems in pharmaceuticals to, you know, marketing problems being faced by organizations trying to open up, um, you know, uh, brand new markets for existing products. And what we have found is that the right set of tools, the right set of methodologies, and the right, the right worldview around um, this arena that we call open um, um, can deliver enormous dividends. We solve over 50 cent, 50% of problems uh, for our clients, and our clients include companies running the gamut from Procter & Gamble uh, in the commercial sector to organizations like NASA in government, uh, 
um, to organizations like the Rockefeller Foundation and the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative in the not-for-profit sector. So it turns out this is an incredibly powerful tool um, usable by organizations. And I think it was only made possible, to be honest, by um, the reality that the Internet has now developed to the point uh, that it has, that we've got connectivity with problem solvers from diverse backgrounds all over the world, and that people are now very comfortable with, you know, this notion of social networking. So getting engaged in problems on the world stage, uh, you know, through the Internet and, and uh, uh, various mechanisms is now a, a way of essentially participating in a global workplace, working on problems that are you're passionate about becomes a very viable tool indeed. The company was founded originally by Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company. That was back in 2001. And what they recognized is that, you know, pharma looking over very long time horizons, um, you know, was looking at the kind of the brutal reality that the cost of R&D had been increasing pretty consistently for years um, and was generally higher than the, the top-line revenue growth uh, in the industry. So they recognized the need to begin experimenting with very different models to bring new thinking and new innovation into the organization. Innocentive was founded in 2001 as an experiment to test that out. Over the next several years, it was proven out uh, very clearly, as well as its ability to operate in other sectors, not just pharmaceutical. Uh, the company became a standalone company in late 2005, and today we service clients in all the different sectors that I mentioned, and we work in areas running the gamut inside of organizations, running the gamut from R&D you know, to marketing to business strategy to others. So it's now a very flexible tool set, and this notion of crowdsourcing and open innovation as really core components of a business strategy and its ability to innovate its products and its uh, capabilities, um, I think, is here to stay. I love it. This is right up my alley, having written so many books on social media and talking with uh, companies, you know, for decades about the their R&D and innovate, innovative issues that they have. Before we go a little more more deeply into all this, can you give us just a little bit on sort of the economics of this? I sort of was trying to understand when I was, you know, looking at your site last night, you know, on, you know, if a company what they're offering to pay for some of this problem solving, how Innocentive makes its money, and also how about the IP issues in a, in a social world or an open world? Um, I would love your views on all three of those things. Sure. So um, let's start first with, um, and, and I'm going to do some of this around Innocentive as a frame, uh, but I also realize we're talking broadly about open innovation. Right. And the processes and capabilities. So, you know, you can extend this to your own internal efforts as an organization or to other partners. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about what, what we do, and that will give you a sense of probably what the, what the market looks like. So, Innocentive t takes three products to market, what we call challenges. And these are those things that you see, you know, Larry, on the website, right? We see a, you know, a challenge for, um, you know, trying to improve a business process or, uh, to, to, to identify a new breakthrough technology. To run that challenge, um, Innocentive is typically charging between fifteen dollars and $35,000 to run the challenge. And those numbers are important. It's, it's really important to understand why. We've got a team of PhDs. We've got a you know, proprietary methodology that we apply. turns out organizations are not terribly good at articulating what their own problems are. So what we have found over the years, and the reason that we're so successful at what we do, is we work with the organization to really articulate 
what the problem is, what the intellectual property treatment should be, what's known and not known um, about the problem, how it can be applied um, in various sectors. Is there, um, are there known sort of research paths that, that, that you know, should not be tackled because they're known to fail, uh, and research paths that would probably be very important and useful to, the, uh, to a global solver community um, to, uh, to, uh, to approach. So as a consequence of that, we're able to get the very, very well-defined um, and articulate problems that the entire world can address. That's what we call the posting fee, the fifteen to 35000 Then you also offer an award amount, and the award amount is the inducement to the, the solver community or the solver teams themselves. That can run the gamut from, you know, the lowest number on our system today I think is $5,000. The highest number is one and a quarter million. And it can vary very much based on what you're asking them to do, the amount of rigor that you need them to put into the system, how complex the problem is. Are you asking them to give you an idea or are you asking them to actually send you, you know, a working prototype of a new product that you might take to market? Um, and then, you know, the last piece of that uh, uh, is what we call a pay-for-performance premium where, you know, some percentage of the total award amount, if in fact the solution is provided, um, also comes back to incentive as a, uh, as a premium. So to give you some perspective here, let's say that you had a, um, a problem that you wanted to run. Uh, Innocentive was charging $15,000 for the posting fee. You're putting a $50,000 uh, prize amount out there. Um, and there's a 40% back-end pay-for-performance premium what that company is going to see is $15,000 if they don't get the solution they want. That's their out-of-pocket. Their out-of-pocket is $85,000 if they do, 50000 of which went to, the, um, went to the solver in exchange for the intellectual property. So the reason I give you those numbers in that detail is to sort of put a sizing to this and to give you a sense of the amount of work that actually happens um, to, to do that. So that's what we call a challenge. And typically an organization won't run a problem on incentive unless it's worth at least half a million dollars in value to them. So you can see that this actually fundamentally changes the economics, because if I only have to pay $15,000 in the worst case, and in that particular one I pay 85, I'm sorry, the best, uh, if I don't get the solution I want, and I pay 85000 if I do, and it's for a half million dollar or a million dollar problem, those are cost economics that I can't get any other way. And so that's why that's transformative for organizations that want to drive innovation. The second product that we run is something called Innocentive at Work. And what that product does is it allows organizations to take the same challenge-based innovation approach and run it inside their organization. So, you know, where the product actually came from, a CEO asked me, said, you know, I've acquired five different companies. I don't even know what we know today, much less whether I should put the problem to the outside world. So we took that same challenge-based innovation approach and we made it available inside an organization using a, an even more rich social media approach because it doesn't care as much about intellectual property protection. And we run that inside an organization. And it's been absolutely brilliantly successful. And if you don't solve the problem on the inside, you hit the proverbial red button, move the problem to the outside world, and now your organization is taking maximum advantage of its innovation capabilities inside and outside, all driven by this challenge-based approach. And the last capability that we bring to organizations is we've recognized the need for organizations to engage in more than a little bit of culture change, right? It's very hard for organizations that have for 100 years, um, you know, sort of been born and bred on this not invented here 
kind of a model to all of a sudden say, you know what, it's okay for us to bring in innovation from the outside. It's okay for us to ask our customers and our partners and people we don't even know for suggestions on where we take our business strategy or how to solve that, that manufacturing problem. So as a consequence, we've been asked for our clients for years now, and we developed about two years ago what's now turned out to be a very successful methodology that we call on-ramp to actually help organizations with the transformational change needed to be successful in a more open, collaborative innovation environment. And then we often, for those clients, also will implement our innocent at work products and our outside challenge products. So that should give you a basic sense of what that footprint looks like. If you wanted to implement something like the incentive at work tool set, that's typically going to look like, you know, uh, it's going to be based upon the number of seats, and it can easily run into a few hundred thousand dollars a year. But to tap all of the intellectual assets inside your organization as part of a more open, collaborative strategy, it's a no-brainer. And the, you know, the, the, the process consulting, the management and change management consulting that we referred to as on-ramp, it's actually very affordable and cost-effective. An organization can get off the ground there for, you know, typically less than $100,000. So we've tried to price these to be effective for organizations, but I think the broader message here really for your audience is, you know, an open form of innovation I think is vital in this century. You can't be a closed innovation organization any longer. And quite frankly, as you're developing business strategies and ways to go to market, you know, or developing technical kinds of innovations, you need to invite the outside world in. That capability is an extremely, um, is an extremely um, important one. In fact, I'm going to argue going forward, organizations like P&G that have really internalized um, these kinds of capabilities into the organization itself, um, in fact, have created enormous um, competitive differentiators between them and the competition, they will be able to bring new products to market better, faster, and more cost-effectively. And at the end of the day, that's what those shareholders want. So I, I think this has actually gone from being sort of an interesting curiosity back in 2001 when the company was originally um, um, created to today, this broader open innovation field is in fact vital and I think necessary for companies to be effective in the 21st century. Yes. Fascinating, and I couldn't agree more. I have a bunch more questions, but we're going to have to take our short commercial break right now. Please stand by, and we'll be right back with Dwayne Spradlin and more of this fascinating conversation on incentive and innovation in real time almost. This is Larry Webber and Market Edge. We'll be right back. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. What is this? Why is my website not ranking higher? Well, sounds like you could use a link building report from SEOfox.com. What's that? You can't rank without good backlinks. And SEOfox.com's link building report lets you enter domains and compare their backlinks. It gives a detailed report that shows you why each domain ranks where it does, and it reduces the time it takes to find more links. With SEOfox.com's link building report, you can find more links, use their search marketing services to find more links, or better yet, they could even build your own backlinks. So you think you're pretty sly with that SEO Fox link building report. <laughs> sly like a fox. Get your link building report today at seofox.com. That's seofox.com. Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is admedia.com. 
AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. AdMedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything AdMedia can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. AdMedia, strong ROI made simple. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high-converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit ConversionCritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.ConversionCritic.com. CEO Coach. Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Culture and Business Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today talking about open innovation with Dwayne Spradlin. The president and CEO of Innocentive, I urge you all in the audience to Google, even while you're listening, uh, about this fascinating company bringing in an open and social approach to R&D. You know, I've been thinking uh, since the first portion of this and after looking at your, your, your website, uh, Dwayne, that what we're really talking about is, is huge business process change in a way. I mean, aren't we sort of talking about creating what I might call the, the social enterprise, one that has to be open, like you were saying, that has to work with, you know, people outside its organization, that it has to be transparent, and it has to sort of organize around those open principles. Is that right? Well, I don't think you could be more right. Um, you know, what we're, you know, I think the, I think the, the reality is that, org, you know, organizations, um, you know, the competitiveness in the marketplace has not decreased, it's increased. You know, with, um, you know, global economic woes and others, I mean, the reality is companies still need to innovate. They need to innovate quickly. They've got to get products to market faster than ever before. And you're dealing with now a pretty wired world where oftentimes the, you know, the, 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 the individuals and the organizations that can best help your organization get to market and be successful aren't located in your hometown. They may not even be in your country. So being able to uh, essentially engage um, in, a, in, in almost a global ecosystem of value creation is incredibly important now. And I think, we, I think we see a lot of examples of that in real time. I mean, whether it's, you know, two or three years ago when the new CEO of Starbucks came back in, first thing he did is he said, let's ask our customers how we should change as a, customer, as a company, um, and immediately began implementing those. That was a form of open. When P&G really did, and we'll, we'll refer back to that one because I think they've done a phenomenal job, you know, when, when A.G. Lafley said, look, 50% of our innovation is going to come from the outside, that's the only way we can keep up our growth, uh, he was recognizing what I think a lot of companies hadn't yet, that if you don't master the skills to be open, 
uh, and engaged and collaborative and integrated with the rest of the world, you simply can't compete. Like we saw a lot of that early on with high tech, where you know the terms like coopetition kicked in, but that had its own connotation. I think now the reality is um, organizations create enormous value by managing effectively um, their ecosystems, and their ecosystems are partners, they're innovators, they're manufacturers, they're customers, and the organizations that get that right will um, uh, will absolutely win at the end of the day. But this is the dawn of a of a new era. I suspect we're seeing the reinvention of businesses and corporations as we know them. So funny you say that. I mean, the current book I'm working on everywhere that'll be out next year is is looking at that social media might have originally started taking root in marketing or the marketing department, but in a way that's going to be almost the least impactful department as you look at human capital and intellectual property and, and new product development and customer service. I mean, truly cutting across business processes. Well, I think that's right. And, you know, it's interesting. There's some very interesting things going on here. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, the book Free Agent Nation. Um, yeah. But it really, it really talks to um, what is a, you know, a generational and a demographic shift that I think most organizations really haven't, you know, fully comprehended yet. And that is that, you know, going forward with these technologies uh, that are now pretty pervasive and, and really a shift in attitudes um, and, you know, norms by younger generations, people want to work how they, you know, they want to work on things they care about when they can. Um, and, and how they choose. And, you know, whether it's work-life balance, you know, we're trying to make sure that we've got access to, you know, the right resources on software, you know, problems around the world, which is clearly the early, you know, phase of the outsourcing uh, movement. You know, the reality is that people want to engage in uh, project-based work now in ways that they never did before. And as importantly, um, I think that the problems that are really driven by their passion are the ones that get the attention and the focus. So as employers, as companies, as organizations, we're going to need to come to terms with the fact that, you know, the 25-year employees of, you know, that, that we all grew up with, that, that's probably a thing of the past. The average person today entering the workforce will probably have eight different jobs. You know, with the uh, employment situation the way it is nationally, um, I don't think it's much of a stretch to notice how many of your friends are now listed as consultants on LinkedIn. Why is that? It's because they're now freelancers. That's the way they're going to work. And I don't know that that's going to get rolled back anytime soon. So social networking and social conventions and building of communities are one aspect of this. Another is there's an incredibly important shift going on in demographics and attitudes that mean this is, quite frankly, the way people are going to work. So you have to tap that to focus the world's productive energy. This is, again, where I think organizations really need to wake up and say, you know, one, to remain competitive, we have to tap all of the creative and intellectual and productive capacity of the world. At the same time, the world's changing whether organizations individually choose to or not. So, you know, quite frankly, we're watching a, uh, you know, we're watching an evolution both on what corporations and organizations have to do to be successful and how the whole workscape is evolving. And I think, you know, as a consequence of that, again, organizations really need to get their arms around this. And now you're going to see HR 
dealing in sort of you know human capital and human asset management in ways they never were before because they didn't have to at this level. I think you're going to see product development organizations saying the only way we can get to the talent we need to get that product out the door is virtually and through vehicles like Innocentive and by you know mechanisms we may not have chosen in the past. And so I do think it affects all parts of the organization, not just marketing. I think we've got social media to thank. Uh, quite frankly, because I think these are good changes. It acted as a, a, as a catalyst in this process, but I think it will affect all parts of our organization. I couldn't agree more. The, um, the other thing is that it actually, you know, in an, yet another good way, the original attraction to social media was that you were passionate about something. You know, you wanted to talk about the Red Sox. Sorry, everybody. Or if you wanted to talk about <laughs> something that you were very passionate about. And what this actually does in this change in the work, work, um, you know, related outlook is saying, hey, look, I'm passionate about doing this type of work, and that's not going to be at one place. That is going to be in multiple places over a lifetime of career. And that keeps you really passionate about it, you know? Well, that workscape, um, that workscape ha you know, has changed dramatically and will continue to. So I'm 100% I'm agreement there. And, and I'd like to talk about this word passion for a minute because, you know, you know incentive deals often in, in you, know, you know, cash inducements um, to help organize all the different, um, you know, all the different potential problem solvers and teams on, on these problems that matter. But it turns out that it turns out that passion is an incredibly powerful um, inducement as well, as you point out. And you know, one of the things that that makes my job, you know, particularly enjoyable is we get to work on commercial problems that have extraordinary importance, um, and we get to work on lots of different kinds of problems as well that aren't necessarily in the commercial sector. So we're doing a lot of phenomenal work with NASA right now that's getting tremendous pressure, right? I mean, you and I grew up with NASA. The notion that you can work on a problem that may actually affect the health, you know, improve the health and safety uh, outlook for astronauts in space is incredible, right? And that, that's talking to not only you wanting to get paid for your time, but it's taught, you know, it's kind of tugging at that reality that we're, you know, we grew up being passionate about space exploration and the rest. Well, it turns out as we look at our data, because we, we, since we've done more of this by far than anybody in the world, we've got data uh, more than anybody in the world. And if you look at, um, if you look at the problems that we run, uh, one of the things that you'll find is that when we run problems around, you know, looking for new, um, you know, water, you know, water cleaning technologies for use in sub-Saharan Africa, or can we use local materials in developing countries, um, you know, to assist with low-cost, um, you know, low-cost uh, uh, manufacture of buildings and homes, right? But the things that really talk to the kind of the public good side of our brains, you know, the outpouring of um, uh, passion and engagement in solving those kinds of problems will actually absolutely blow you away. I mean, it's incredible. And in fact, recently, literally days after the, the spill in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, we launched an oil spill challenge to come up with new um, ideas around both capping and remediation for um, uh, that spill. And I'll tell you, this was the fastest we've ever seen um, a challenge go from zero to a thousand active um, solvers um, in the history of the company. And it ended up being thousands of solvers and over a thousand solutions being submitted by, you know, experts and oil spill, um, you know, not you know, oil spill um, uh, uh, recovery experts and, you know, you know, chemists and construction engineers. And what we found was that that passion was an extraordinary inducement in and of itself. So I, I agree with you. And just to 
you know, just to pile on, I would say that when you take that passion and you organize that passion around the right problems um, and you take into account the way we're really trying to organize people around the world, what you're really doing is you're putting the right people at the right time on the right problems to make a difference, whether it's getting that new product to market on time or, you know, trying to quickly sort of respond to an emergency situation like the Gulf or, you know, trying to find a, you know, a new drug candidate for, you know, a neglected disease in the third world. Uh, this is all about reorganizing the way we apply labor to these kinds of problems. If you're an organization, you have to look, you know, downstream to say, how do I tap that? If you're an individual that, you know, is driven either by, you know, economic inducement or passion, there's a role you have to play as well. But these are, you know, these are the kinds of conversations we couldn't have 20 years ago. You know, now I think it's gonna, now it's getting embedded right into the fabric of how we work, um, and into the fabric of how these organizations are evolving. I think it's very exciting. You know, it's funny. I, I was just thinking to myself, I was brought into this sort of whole web and internet age. I was lucky in 1993 to help introduce HTML for Tim Berners-Lee, now Sir Tim Berners-Lee, when he moved from CERN to the Laboratory for Computer Science yeah. at MIT. Yeah. And Tim, Tim used to keep saying, you know, Larry, the only reason I'm developing this is that so that researchers can share to make the world better. And it's like that was 17 years ago, and we sort of forgot about that. And that, you know, GBP, there's a perfect example. Did you know that there's a place like Incentive, an incentive that, can, that can really at least take a stab at solving this major problem for you? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, I think, the, you know, I, I, it blows me away. Do you realize how old Twitter is? Hmm. Is, it, is it three years old? <laughs> it may just barely be three. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's barely three years old. Here, I think it's barely three years old. So, you know, we, there does come a point where, you know, you probably have to give the markets a little bit of slack to catch up. Yeah, um, for sure. But you know, I will tell you, the pace of change the last few years um, um, is really pretty, um, pretty jaw dropping. And I think that you know, I think that you know, some of the biggest and you know, grandest ideas five, ten, fifteen years ago. Sometimes you have to wait for the technology to get in place and the social conventions and people to get used to social networking and so on and so forth. But I think right now these things have converged, um, and I think we're seeing very rapid. Uh, innovation in um, engaging the world's productive capacity. And I think, you know, whether it's BP, you know, hopefully through this process, you know, BP is a little bit smarter as a result. I'll tell you one of the most interesting things, actually just talking to your point, is a number of other oil companies have actually reached out to us and said, can you share with us what you learned um, by trying to engage the masses in uh, responding to this oil spill? Uh, a set of oil automotive companies um, reached out to us and said, can you, share to a, can you share with us what you learned? Why? Well, think about the issues with recalls and safety lately in automotive. So if you think about it, you know, now all of a sudden that these companies have been forced to, they say, oh, my gosh, engaging the world in this kind of problem solving on demand is actually an emergency response tool that we should have, a, you know, we should have available as needed when these crises happen. So not only should you use it as part of your business strategy, but if the worst happens, what better tool to bring to bear than to engage thousands or millions of people on demand that may have the solutions you need right then? So I, I think we're going to see these things very quickly get integrated into the fabric of these organizations and their playbooks. And, you know, we may very well actually have the, uh, the oil spill crisis. If there's any good to come out of this, I think it's probably a, a rude awakening to organizations. 
And at least based upon what we've seen from, you know, not only the oil industry, but other industries, I think they very quickly took note that people around the world can have an enormous impact in these kinds of problems. They're inventive, they're creative, uh, they're not burdened, you know, they're not burdened by, you know, the day-to-day politics inside the organization. They just want to solve those problems. And they got that passion driving them as well, particularly in situations like this. So, you know, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, we may see going forward that, uh, you know, crowdsourcing and open innovation and engaging the, you know, engaging the masses in these kinds of things, uh, it's not a, you know, it's not a line of the last defense, it's a line of first defense. You know, I'm sorry, our time's running out. I'm going to ask you one quick question to end our session. But, you know, I I really would love to have you back because what I was also thinking about was the impact this all could have on other categories of business, not just the enterprise. Think of venture capital, for example. Why would you have to go to those levels to try to create new companies when you could just sort of crowdsource an idea to solve a problem very quickly? But, um, you know, that's. I think we have to wait because I wanted to ask you one really big sort of personal question on my yeah. mind. Do you think, in, you know, this kind of method, um, you know, that InnoCentive is doing could also work for, you, you touched on a little bit, but I'm talking about serious global problems that countries, people have, even wars, you know, and and how to maybe, you know, bring bring really human solutions to, to things that have existed for a long, long time without people being able to solve these problems. Well, I actually do. Um, so in the first one, I'm definitely happy to come back. And by the way, um, I think there's an enormous opportunity here for these kinds of solutions to de-risk venture capital portfolios and the risk inherent in startups. So very interested in having that conversation uh, and to chat more. I enjoy it. And on your latter question, it's a really big question. I think absolutely. I don't know of a world problem that's hurt by more collaboration, more communication, more ideas. Um, I think it's quite the contrary. I think the difference is that usually, you know, whether we like it or not, we have to be honest with ourselves. It's usually an elite few that are really dealing in the negotiations. How are we dealing with war situations on the ground? What do you do after Hurricane Katrina when we got to find housing? Um, you know, or global climate change. And I think there's a democratization as one aspect to this. Uh, but the other is, you know, the notion that by, by bringing a transparency and a global visibility into the problem, and again, getting the right people from all over the world involved in, in, in creating the solutions, um, um, you know, if, if you can coordinate that effort correctly, if you can use the inducement mechanisms to help corral and control, if you take big problems and even break them into smaller problems that different people can work on, that can be localized for certain developing countries and then globalized, uh, when you're really dealing with things the size of, you know, Western economies, let's say. Um, I think magic can happen. So, you know, I am 110% with you that there's there's opportunity here to do this, you know, on problems of a global scale. And I think we're really at the forefront of trying to figure out how to organize the inducements and the tools to make that happen. But you see a lot of it happening right now in very, um, very significant areas um, from climate change to development of, you know, neglected disease cures, a better water efficiency in arid areas of the world. So, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna save some of that for our next discussion. Uh, but I'll tell you, I think you'd be impressed by what's already happening, um, and encouraged that uh, this may very well be, you know, a path to a better world. Well, I can't uh, I can't recommend more audience that you all learn more about InnoCentive, their process, and what they're doing. I think it's going to change the world. 
uh, even it uh, probably already has in some places. So thanks so much, Dwayne Spreadland, the president and CEO of, I think, one of the most fascinating companies to come along in Ocena. My pleasure. And hey, thanks everybody in the audience for listening to today's conversation. Visit webmasterradio.fm at 12 noon Eastern time on Tuesdays here in the United States to tune into the new episode. This is Larry Weber. Thanks again. Bye-bye.